Welcome to Time Zero's podcast, Basketball Analytics. From out of the basement into uh, the everyday vernacular of the Philadelphia basketball fan, obviously with the uh, hiring of Sam Hankey. Uh, you know, if you're a basketball fan, you've heard a lot about this. You've even seen a change on NBA.com just with the uh, advanced analytics and the uh, advanced stats and just hearing the way people talk about basketball. But with the hiring of Sam Hinkie, who is one of the leaders in that field, we've talked about it a lot more. But a lot of the question I've got is, is what exactly does it mean and what do they do? Um, so on the podcast today, um, the CEO and founder of Crossover, spelled with a K, who is a, a company that does basketball analytics for high school and college basketball teams. Uh, they actually do lacrosse and football as well. Vasu Kolkarni is uh, is on the podcast. Now, you actually went to Penn, right? What years were you there? 2004 through 2008, so not not too long ago. Yeah, how about that? I was I was going to say, because uh, I went to high school, when I looked and saw that you played, uh, you were on the JV basketball team at, at Penn, I um I went to high school with Jerome Allen and Eric Moore who were on that um oh. the great Penn team but a long time long time before you got there. Yeah, Jer- Jerome's a good friend now. Um he wasn't there uh when I was there. He I think he got hired a, a year or two after that, but uh I have been going back working with the program however possible, so he's he's a good friend. Uh yeah, he um do you now does he uh I guess you speak to him uh he's now the uh, the head coach over at Penn. Um it's actually a sort of a good uh, introduction into this in that he's a guy who played and now a guy who coaches. Does he as far as you know take interest in the uh in the analytics side of things or from what I understand a lot of those players, a lot of guys that played seem it seems like there's a a wall up between them and and this sort of thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's at least he's a little younger, I think, and I think the younger guys in general have some sort of a tendency to try to try to do something a little more. They've been reading out the what's what's new out in the industry, and so you know, Jerome has shown some interest, but you know, he's certainly not a, a stat head. You know, if if you think about someone like a Brad Stevens at Butler and what he's been doing with uh, with statistics with that team, you know, I don't think we're as hardcore at Penn, but uh, you know, compared to some of the other more old school guys, Jerome has certainly shown an inclination to uh, to look into this sort of stuff. Um, all right, so if if you don't mind, I just w- want to take a few steps back into just how you uh, where a crossover came from and your I guess your your history at least with the the, stati- the statistical side of things and with basketball itself. So, at what point do you uh, start to think, hey, this is something I want to do? Right. Well. So my, so my background kind of, I, I grew up in India as, uh, as the biggest self-proclaimed basketball fan in the world. And uh, little did I know what it, what it took to play here. So after playing in India, when I showed up at 10, I thought I'm just going to you know, show up and walk onto the, onto the team because that's how it works there. <laughs> and uh, I didn't realize that at 5'9", 135 pounds, that wasn't about to happen. <laughs> and uh, so I was, I was in for a, a rude awakening when I showed up at the Palestra I, I mean, I didn't even know much about Penn at the time. I kind of just looked at the brochure, saw this place called the Palestra. They said it was the greatest basketball gym in the world, and, and I showed up, decided to go to Penn for that. Um, and so I spent four years basically trying to work out, uh, playing a lot of pickup, taking a lot of protein shakes, and finally as a senior, I was allowed to walk on. And so I get through that season, and I sort of saw as part of the basketball program how much effort sort of went into preparation for game day. Um, we had two, three coaches. They would be scouting out opponents. They'd be watching a ton of film, putting together a PowerPoint deck, 
a couple days before the game, handing that out to the team and saying, all right, you need to study these tendencies for these players. Uh, this is the keys to winning. And it was just an incredibly manual and somewhat arcane process to me. And sort of being the only basketball, uh, the, the only computer guy to have ever probably come through the basketball program, um, it was it was sort of like, well, there's got to be a better way than, than what they're doing right now. Um, and that sort of started. So at the end of my senior year, having spent a season sort of looking at what a coach here goes through in order to prepare for a game, um, I felt that there was a better way to do it. I felt that I, uh, I had always wanted to work in basketball. Um, I figured if I went and got a nine to five job, I'd be terrible at it. And now, you know, I, I'm, I'm graduating. I got to figure out a way to make a living. And it seemed like a no brainer to try to mesh sort of basketball uh, computer science and, and data with, uh, with, with a real job. And that's sort of how the whole thing started is that was the idea. I had to make a living and I went out and sort of figured out what were coaches looking for? Where could we provide a solution that uh, they currently didn't have? Um, and that's how crossover kind of started. It's interesting because the the data movement in basketball, which is now following the one in, uh, and it's you know football, it's very big, and you guys are crossover do football, you do lacrosse too. But uh, data in general just seems in in almost any field seems like um, you know it's not just sports that this is moving forward in. It's moving forward in, in a lot of different fields. Yeah, you know, my uh, sophomore year. I wasn't really one of those uh, motivated kids that went out and did internships and all that. But, however, during the, during the summer of my sophomore year, um, a family friend of mine started uh, a, a business intelligence company uh, back home in India. And I was back home in India for the summer, and I decided, you know what, let me, let me walk into this office and kind of figure out what these guys are doing. And this was you know, 2005, 2006, and – there was this little startup in India, and they were basically working with a couple of brands here. And I got to see the level of detail to which businesses were tracking things. So an example, you know, Walmart was tracking at the point of sale every single item sold, what time it was, the demographic of the person who was buying it, how they were buying it. And then you could go back and sort of run a search for, well, let's look at every white T-shirt that was sold at a Walmart in the Midwest between the hours of 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. And that was just absolutely fascinating to me, uh, the fact that they were using that in business to make decisions. And, and I think that that also somewhat helped in, uh, in how we crafted the, the product for Crossover. And that was really the, the, uh, the inspiration for me when I said, if, if you can do that sort of stuff with businesses, why won't you want to run similar searches using basketball data to come up with better decisions? Yeah, it's funny when you when you say it very clearly like that. It it's it it makes so much more sense than there just there is a and I'm sure you're aware of it. There is an enormous wall. It seems like between people who not just and and you know what first comes to mind is older people and and sort of people that have been in basketball for forty years. But even beyond that, there's an enormous wall for thirty year olds and some twenty year olds between uh, the actual sport of it. And and the notion of looking at analytics to help you uh, better yourself at it, and for some reason, uh, people do not see. I guess that the 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 statistics themselves, the data itself, comes from the game. It, you know, it must be frustrating for you as somebody who played and who understands what you're doing to see how hard it can be to get through to those people. 
Yeah, you know, I, I think that there's there's definitely you see some disparity uh, even at at the top organizations now. I mean, you hear about teams like the Lakers and the Clippers not wanting to do any of this stuff. You, I mean, maybe they're doing something behind the scenes that the the public doesn't know about. But you know, most teams that sort of have adopted statistics and analytics as a as a form of decision making to some extent have been pretty vocal about it. And you know, so so the OKCs, the Houston Rockets the Mavericks, those kinds of guys have been all out talking about what they're doing. And then you hear about guys like the Lakers where you're, you kind of look at them and you think, you know, they're just loading their roster with talent. They're willing to pay the luxury tax and they think they're going to be competitive. And, you know, if you look at this year, both the Lakers and the Clippers had teams on paper that one would think were, were sort of championship caliber teams that could make a, a deep run in the playoffs. And they both got their butts kicked, and it could be coincidental. I'm sure there's there's more than than just data that 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 results in 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 a loss like that. However, um, you know, it has been four or five years now since uh, some of these other teams have started to really adopt analytics, and so it could be coincidence, or it could just be that you know the time has come that these younger teams that are making better decisions are uh, are beating these other teams that historically have been sort of going on on a manual methodology, a gut feel, if you will. And so now these teams are starting to beat them. And for us, you know, we, again, deal primarily with high schools and colleges, and, and we certainly see it all the time that there's always, you know, some percentage of these coaches who are old school guys. Um, they believe in their gut feel and the way they've been doing things for, for decades now. And so they sort of look at this stuff. You know, it could be a combination of they're just not numbers guys to begin with. Hey, they, these are basketball coaches. They're good at what they do, um, but they just don't know what to do with all these numbers. And so that fear invariably results in, oh, I don't need that stuff. I know what I'm doing when it comes to coaching. I don't need that stuff. And so, and, and then you see with the younger guys, the guys sort of my generation who are now becoming assistants, um, and they've grown up with iPhones and iPads over the last five, seven years. They, they had computers growing up. And so for them, sort of using tools like this is, is common. And, and they're, in my opinion, as they get into head coaching jobs, you'll see a much greater shift in the amount of teams that are actually using these sorts of tools. Whereas right now, you've got kind of a split between the older school guys that most of them just don't buy into it or they don't, they, they don't wholeheartedly buy into it. I don't think anyone's, any of these guys are, are saying to their staff, I don't want the data. Uh, it's just that the data comes in, and then they don't really know what to do with it, and then they figure, well, you know, let's just ignore most of this stuff. It's great that we have it, but when it comes to final decision-making, I'm going based on gut feel, not what the numbers tell me. So I've seen um, some of the reports that you send, you know, uh, the teams, and – you know, as somebody who, you know, I'm a, a, a believer in this and anything that can make your team better, you know, anything that makes you smarter, I'm all for. But I looked at these these sheets and I understood how daunting it can be because, you know, to go from a normal stat sheet to what you guys provide is is there's just a lot more numbers. So how do you, um, you know, with it, with it being that daunting, I guess, do you guys just crossover provide sort of a um, – you know, a, a step past that uh, where, okay, here are the numbers, but but here's how to look at them and, you know, and here's what to do with them and here's what's more important. And do you guys assist with that? So it's one of the things that we have on our roadmap is to kind of take what's known, known as natural language processing um, and to have a machine like that sort of read the numbers that are coming out of our report, look at historical trends or look through, okay, over the course of a season – 
what metrics stand out um, that resulted in a greater win or loss percentage, and then kind of craft entire stories around the data that we've given these teams that says, okay, when you do X, Y, Z, under these circumstances, here's how your team plays. Like, that's the sort of stuff that we, we plan to do. Currently, we kind of just give uh, the statistical report to our coaches, and it's kind of up to them to read through. You know, we give them glossaries. We do a lot of blog posts. We do some sort of training. But for the most part, we're giving them the data, and we're saying it's kind of up to you guys to figure out what you want to do with it. Down the road, we'd like to start to get into more of suggestions based on that data on what they should be doing. But, you know, the, the important thing uh, that coaches need to remember, you know, when, when you kind of say what should we look at on that stat sheet, it's, it's never just one stat. You know, anyone who kind of says, oh, I just need to look at these one or two stats and that's the, the difference between a win and a loss, you know, that's never the case. It's always trying to look at a number of things put together in context, and it's about what you're trying to achieve. You know, are you trying to self-scout and make a, an improvement on, uh, in, in the way your team is playing? Are you trying to make an opponent scouting decision are you making a player personnel decision on, on who to draft or who to play or, or which combination of players to play with? So, so depending on what your end goal is, you have to look at a number of different stats uh, to, and, and to come up with, with a, a, a holistic picture and then a decision on what you want to do. So you know, there's really it's hard for us as well to kind of just look at our stat sheet and point out a couple of things to a team and say, here's what you should be doing. Um, because you really have to look at a number of things and know what you're trying to accomplish at the end. What do you think the, the I guess, the major misconceptions are about what you do uh, and what you provide from the people who, who, would, who are resistant to it? Well, a, a lot of them, you know, some of them just look at what we do as, wait, why, why do I need you to do this when my assistant coaches are sitting on the bench twiddling their thumbs? You know, what are they going to do? Why, why, am I, why am I paying these guys if, if you guys are going to come in and do their work? That sounds like uh, more I like their problem than your problem, actually. Right, right? Yeah. right? yeah. So, you know, I, I think, so there's two things. So there's, there's that, which is just they, they need to come to the realization that no matter how many guys you have on staff, at the end of the day, a computer program is going to beat them in terms of doing this sort of, this sort of work. You know, I'm not saying we're going to give you a better decision than your coaches are going to make, but I'm saying when it comes to data collection, when it comes to sort of putting all of this together into a form that's easily digestible, it's much better to use a computer program. At least it's more efficient and cheaper to use a computer program than it is to use humans. And the second thing is, look, we're collecting all this data, but we're not telling you what to do. You still need all your assistant coaches and everyone on your staff to sit down make sense of the data we're giving you, uh, and come up with, with good decisions based on that. So we're not trying to replace anyone's job here. We're just trying to make your job a lot easier, a lot more efficient, and give you a lot more information and data that you can actually use. Because without what we're giving you, then you go back to, you know, you, you watch any game on TV and you see there's four assistants plus the trainer on an NBA bench sitting there and, and writing things down on paper. And what are they tracking? They're tracking data at the end of the day in whatever shorthand notation or whatever specific things they're, they've been told to look for by the head coach. They're doing all that manually, recording it on paper. Now you've got to come back into the locker room at the end of the day, transcribe that into something, in some sort of form that, that the coach can now read. So it's, it's just still such a manual process that I think uh, you know, people need to realize that you've got to take advantage of the fact that there's 
all these devices out there right now that can track things for you. So why do it yourself? Um, you know, oftentimes I'll tell people when I'm trying to explain uh, you know, the reason for this, I'll say rather than it being these stats versus your eye, it's these stats versus bad stats. So, you know, in baseball, where, you know, where the movement has become from RBIs to OPS, you know, to, or, or wins in it for a pitcher, why maybe that's not important. With basketball, it seems to me that, that oftentimes people look for total rebounds or, or total points scored from a player and, and see that as, you know, that's a statistic as well. It's just not as good as the, the more advanced statistics that show efficiency, you know, or, or show, you know, how the points were scored. Um, do you find that, that maybe sometimes it's better to present it as these stats versus those stats as opposed to these stats versus what you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, you, basketball is a very fluid sport. You have to look at things very differently than, you know, something like baseball where there's just it's kind of discrete possessions. It, every ball is thrown and you've got a set of stats and then, you know, that, that's, it, it's just a very different game. Um, you know, in terms of what you want to look for when it comes to basketball, everyone talking these days about sort of points per possession. You know, what are, what are the most efficient plays that I'm running and uh, and how and what is the efficiency of my players? And uh, you know, I, I I like to say at least for for the at the grassroots level, at the high school level, where a lot of these coaches are just getting started. You know, I say I keep keep it very simple. Um, I I have an anecdote of a, of a coach that that used our system that used to has this play. They've got this play that they've been running for I, I think 10, 15 years. Um, they just assumed that this was a fantastic play. It was their go-to play. They thought it did really well for them. And having used us for a year, they come back and they looked at the efficiency of that play, and they see that they only scored on it 5% of the time. And for an entire decade, this coach thought that this was the greatest play ever invented since sliced bread. <laughs> and here you go. You know, you're looking at your efficiencies, and you're going, holy crap, I only score on that 5% of the time. Um, so, yeah. Just keep it really simple. Look at things like that, in my opinion, at, at, the, at the youngest levels um, and, and sort of just start there and, and then move up to some of these really more advanced numbers. And again, which you have to look at in, in conjunction with a number of other things. But I, I say start simple. You know, the other, some of the other things that we kind of do, we like to look at location data. Um, you know, here's a simple stat that you don't really hear about anywhere that we track is uh, – assist distribution by location, right? So we try to tell a coach um, where his point guard likes to pass the ball and it's resulting in points. Is that near the rim and the paint in the mid-range and beyond the arc? And we kind of show them how many, how many assists are coming in that region uh, for, for each of their players. And so uh, not only looking at shot selection, but also looking at passing in those regions could be an interesting way huh. to, uh, to sort of see where teams like to pass the ball and are scoring from. And maybe as a scout, you're, you're look, as, an opponent, as an opposing team scout, you're kind of looking at that and, and trying to tell your guys how to play the passing lanes better. Um, you know, a lot of things that coaches like to talk about, uh, just gut feel, right? They like to talk about hustle, and they like to talk about these intangibles. That sometimes that's their answer to statistics is, oh, well, you can't really measure the intangibles, right? And that's what I look at when I'm talking about my team. And so, you know, we, we, try, to do, we try to look at some of those things as well. So we, we measure deflections. Deflections are a good measure of 
kind of how active your hands are and how active your team is as a, as a whole on defense. So if you can measure deflections, sort of winning 50-50 balls and diving for them on the floor, uh, steals and rebounds, now you you know possibly to put some sort of weighted average on these things and come up with a metric around hustle, which is one of those intangibles that coaches really like to see. So, you know, I still say at the lowest levels, you got to start really, really simple, look at just some of these small efficiency things, and then eventually graduate to, to looking at more interesting statistics. Vasu, you're going to be the guy when they always said that you can't measure heart, you're going to be the guy that did it. That's, that's going to be your, the first line on your Wikipedia page, measured heart. Well, see, that's what I always say about myself is I got no skill, but I've got heart. Um, but one of the things actually that I'll tell you about that we've been working on for the past uh, six months is a way to actually measure sports IQ. Uh, that's one of the things that you know always frustrated me when I'm watching a basketball game and I hear a commentator go, oh, he's a high IQ guy. It's like, what the heck does that even mean? Right? There's, there's no metric around he's a high IQ player. Um, and so we kind of set out over the last six months to say, you know, can we come up with a way to measure – the, the basketball IQ of a player. And so we came up with this. Uh, it, it's really an app at this point, but it's, uh, it's also kind of a fun game to play. And the way it works is we take actual footage from a game and we place it into the form of a question. So let's say, you know, the Sixers against the Lakers. Uh, the Lakers are on a fast break. Um, you see Kobe bringing the ball up. He crosses half court. It's a three-on-one situation, and we freeze the video right at that point, and we say the question is, who's going to score on this fast break? So we're telling you that the end result of this possession is a scored basket, but you're looking at the position of the defender, you're looking at the three guys running down the court for the Lakers, and you need to figure out who the, who's going to get that pass or whether Kobe's going to take it himself. And what we found is it's really amazing. We've tested hundreds of people at this point. We've tested – Pro athletes, we've tested pickup basketball players like myself, we've tested front office guys in the NBA, and invariably, when, when, you, when you administer this test, um, not only are we measuring whether you get the question right or wrong, but we're also measuring your response time down to the millisecond. And what we've found is guys that have spent their entire life around basketball, guys that know everything about basketball, so you know, a good example is a front office GM, uh, they will not do very well at this test as compared to an elite athlete. And, and it comes down to this idea of something called perceptual ability and perceptual learning. And it's the idea that athletes who train at a very high level uh, every single day, their brains get wired in such a way that they're kind of making reactions, not decisions. And so a guy like me, um, I'm making a decision when I look at that clip and I'm trying to decide, okay, well, given the spacing and given where these players are, I think this is what's going to happen. You know, more often than not, I'm probably right, but it probably takes me four or five seconds to answer a question. Whereas an elite athlete, their response time is under one second and they're getting most of these questions right. And so um, actually this past uh, two weekends ago at the NBA draft combine, we had a couple of NBA teams actually administering this test to the players uh, who are in? Who are working out at the draft? As you know, this is one more metric that they have on this player now. They've got his height, his weight, his vertical, his forty. They've got his college shooting stats, and now they have some sort of measure of IQ. And so, if you're on the fence about a guy and or a couple of guys, 
this could be the metric moving forward that kind of determines um, who gets drafted and who doesn't. So you know, it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens with that data because um, we're collecting it at all levels now, not just draft prospects, but even down to uh, high school kids who are in a particular combine, college guys who are going to combine. So we're, we're starting to collect this IQ data from a lot of people. And eventually, you know, I say, if you can get the IQ data, you can put some metric around heart, and then you've got <laughs> the actual basketball statistics. Wow, you, you, now your decision-making, either you could look at it as it just got a whole lot easier, or it got a whole lot harder because you got so many things to look at. Yeah, well, it, now, is, this is the one that was at Sloan, right? Because I, I think I heard Zach Lowe talking about this game. Um, and uh, Mark Cuban was messing around with it. And Zach Lowe actually said he did pretty well, he thought. Um, which, you know, he's, he's probably the, the best basketball writer going now, so I'm not particularly surprised at it. But um, that, that, that's, a, that's a pretty amazing um, – it seems like a, a pretty – a great tool, you would think, um, to measure what you're talking about. You don't have to guess on the basketball IQ. Well, you know, when, when, when these writers say they did well, I think they, <laughs> probably got, they, they probably got 50% of them right, and they took right. six seconds to answer them. Right. So, you know, I, uh, Bill Simmons played it down at the, uh, at the NBA All-Star Weekend this year, and, and he did pretty miserable. Oh, really? Um, and, you know, and Simmons is a pretty good basketball mind, but he did, he did really bad at it, which, you know, thank God he did, because if he had done really well, that kind of breaks the whole concept. Uh, but the fact that he did badly kind of proves what we're talking about. Um, you know, at, at Sloan, we had a, a fun version of it as well, which was about referee calls. And so we freeze the clip and we say, you know, is the ref going to call a charge or a block? And of course, everyone had a field day watching Mark Cuban play that and yell at the iPad when he got <laughs> questions wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's in the works. We've got, like I said, there's a, there's a number of different ways it can go. I really want to turn it into a, a consumer game that uh, just junkies like me and my friends can play. We can challenge each other over the iPhone and, and sort of go back and forth on questions and talk trash. Like that's, that's kind of my vision for it, but there is an actual professional version of it that, that's kind of out in the wild right now being tested by a number of different teams uh, that are actually using it for, for draft decisions. Um, I wanted to get into exactly what you provide for the teams that you uh, that that are, are you know are uh, sign up for your service and, and maybe a success story. But you mentioned since we were talking about Sloan, if if you don't mind, the the Sixers obviously just uh, signed Sam Hinkie, who um, yes. who was a, a service Sloan All Star and considered one of the the guys in the forefront of uh, of right. that movement. Um, you know, I've heard nothing but huge things about how intelligent he is and how well he knows basketball. You know, have you, you heard him speak? What do you, what do you know about him? I guess sort of your, your viewpoint of Sam Hankey. Yeah, he's, you know, Sam's a great guy. We had a couple beers this year at, uh, at Sloan the, the night before uh, he, he got to play the game. I don't remember how he did. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that would be a headline, man. Uh, Sam Hankey right? does, does poorly at, at basketball IQ game. You'll get the guy. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was it was him and Daryl Morey and a couple of our guys is hanging out and they all played it and you know they they did okay but I don't I don't think they they were anywhere near what a what an elite athlete would uh, would look like um, but you know he's got a great background coming from Houston I think uh, he kind of seems to have followed the analytical path you know he's been a consultant he got an MBA from Stanford so he did some of those things and always been a numbers guy and I think you know when you look at the new ownership of the Sixers. 
Uh, you know, those are also all Wharton Harvard guys. They they are Wall Street investment, big time, you know, private equity investment banking guys. And so they certainly understand the value of data and numbers and all that. So I think it's going to be a great fit. You know, Sixers, a young squad where they got like the, the 10th or the 11th pick this year, I think, in the draft. So I think Sam coming in right now, it's, it's the perfect time. He's got his work cut out for him. He's got to make the most of that of that pick, probably make a couple of player personnel decisions outside of that for uh, during the offseason uh, and, and kind of find a way for them to be competitive. So, you know, I think he's a great basketball mind. I think he's a great analytical mind. And I think given the new ownership, he's kind of coming in uh, at the right time with a young team to uh, – to kind of uh, make Philly a, a, a competitive team again. So when a, uh, a team signs up uh, for crossover, for basketball, um, you know, I looked at, they're the ones that upload the video, right? So it's, it's basically the team's responsibility to get you the video. Um, and then what do you do from there? How does the process go? Right. So, you know, the, the one thing we can't do is, uh, is for what we could possibly be doing for NBA teams and whatnot is, is getting broadcast content. And, and, you know, we're not dealing with those teams. We're trying to build a solution kind of for the masses. So we're dealing with high schools, colleges that are not on TV. Uh, and so we, our whole business is kind of predicated on the fact that every team in America films their games. And thank God they do. Uh, so, you know, for the last 10 years, coaches have been filming their games. They just don't do much with it after that. They just watch it manually and forward and rewind. So, what we offer them is, okay, coach, you don't have to do anything different. You're still filming your game. You're still coming home with that camera. All we need you to do is plug it into your, your, into your computer, hit the upload button on crossover, and you go to sleep. You know, historically, you would have probably spent half the night sitting up with your staff, cutting up tape. Now you can you know, say goodnight to your wife and kids and go to bed. And what we do from there is we get that footage. We have a network of literally hundreds of people um, that can – pick up a game, they, they, they use our tool that we've built, which in our, in our minds is probably the most efficient tool ever built to break down film, and they're basically going through a workflow that we've created. It's almost a rules engine around each sport, and so they're basically just telling us as they're watching the video using their keyboard, they're hitting buttons and telling us what's happening at any given time. And so they get through an entire game of telling us, you know, at this point, thousands of data points that they've collected for us, and we then go into a, a quality control step where we actually run algorithms on every possession that was, was broken down, and we look for any sort of discrepancies, any commonly made mistakes, any red flags. We do random sampling to look at the data, and if it all looks good, uh, that game then gets released from that queue. Uh, the guy who broke the game down gets paid for it, so there's, you know, we've almost created a marketplace around uh, guys that want to make money watching sports, so that's great. Uh, and then on the flip side, this game gets sent out to the coach, the assistant coaches, uh, and all the players on the team. They all get an email that says, hey, your game from last night has been broken down. So they log into their, to their iPad app, their web app, and what they get to see first and foremost, front and center, is a video player with a playlist of everything that happened in last night's game and a, a set of filters. So little Johnny can come in and go, well, I want to see every time I drove left in the fourth quarter and made a shot last night. And that takes him six seconds to put in that query. And we give him a result of every clip in which he drove left in the fourth quarter and made a shot. And so now he can watch those back to back. 
he could kind of create a highlight reel for himself, and they're tweeting that out. They're putting it on Facebook for their friends and family to watch. The coaches are coming in, and, you know, first thing they're probably looking at is, what are all the mistakes we made last night? So let's look at all our, our missed shots. Let's look at all our turnovers. Maybe if we're having a film session, we want to look at some positives. So let's look at all our deflections, and let's look at all the steals we had. So they can kind of slice and dice it any which way, just at the click of a button, put all these, uh, these little clips together, um, send it out to the team over email if they want them to watch at home, have a film session with it, what have you. After they've looked at the video, the next thing we kind of give them is a shot chart. The shot chart's really cool because you can filter our shot chart down to a particular player, to a particular time, and then, and then you click on our shot chart. It actually brings up the video footage of each of those shots individually. So it's a really fun way for coaches to sit down with the player and sort of show them um, – how to visualize their shot selection and then actually show them the footage from each of those shots and show them what they did well and what they didn't do well. And then of course there's finally the statistical report that we give them, which is both on a per game level as well as on a, on a cumulative basis across the entire season. We're tracking for them, you know, all those things right from something as simple as charges drawn all the way to deflections. And then some of that location-based data that I told you about, like assist distribution by location, shot selection by, by, by location. We, we do all of that for them. And so it's all in a very easy to use format online. We, we really dumbed it down to the point where, you know, we want anyone that has just a basic knowledge of how to use a computer to be able to come in and make sense of it. And, you know, the, the success story that I, we have a number of them over the last couple of years, you know, this year Amherst won, uh, the D3 national championship and, and they've been a, a, a big advocate of what we do. And they really use the heck of our, out of our system this year. Um, probably my favorite story is uh, our very first customer. This was 2010, uh, the summer of 2010. I'm at a, at a Nike clinic because that's how we were selling it. Initially, we would just be standing around at clinics where there were coaches and trying to get them to come by and, and see what we were doing. And uh, <clears throat> you know, we didn't have anyone breaking down film then it was, it was me uh, sitting in hotel rooms when I'm on the road, uh, not only trying to sell someone on a demo, but then going back to the room, breaking the film down myself and showing it to them as a demo in the hope that they would buy our product. And so the, the very first coach, um, he was a, a coach out of Massachusetts. They had been on a 63-game losing streak, literally had not won a game in two and a half seasons. And he kept coming by and talking to me multiple times during the course of that weekend and, you know, he was really interested, kept asking all these questions. Eventually he goes back home. We go back home. A week later, I have a check from him for $1,000, our very first customer. And, uh, and, and I, so I said to him, look, coach, you know, uh, we're just getting started. We still haven't even finished building the product. Uh, how about we use all of your footage from the last season as kind of a trial run here? And so over the course of that summer, he sent in all of those losses that they had, that they had accumulated over the course of two seasons. We kind of broke all of those down for him, gave him all the reports. Uh, and so going into that season, he was really well prepared on what his team had done wrong over the last two years. And then, of course, over that year, they used us in season for all their games. And, you know, as, as luck would have it, they, uh, they went to the state semifinals that year and they came within, I think, a couple of points of being in the state finals and winning a state championship. And so it was, it was just one of the greatest turnaround stories you know, granted, he had a player on that team that uh, that ended up playing at at, at Maryland last year, and so you know, they they had some talent on that team. But really, to go from 
not winning a game in 63 games to going to one game of the state, the state championship. It was just uh, an unbelievable story. And he really attributed a lot of that to the ease with which he was able to look at video and numbers through our system and not have to do any of the work. And, uh, and so a year, a year, two years after that, which was last year, um, this, this, the girls' team at the same school ended up on a 50-game losing streak. And so they <laughs> came to the same coach and they asked him if he'd be willing to take over the girls' program and try to put them on a, on a comeback story. And, uh, of course, he, he's using crossover now to try to get them back on track. That's a, a, an amazing. The guy's going to be coaching every sport of the school very soon. <laughs> Between you and him, anytime I'd be, I'd keep an eye on their field hockey team and make sure there's not a losing streak going on. And just start doing that. You know, one of the things you you talked about um, that is is uh, it seems way more way bigger in basketball analytics than baseball is the use of video, and uh, it's something that I think a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of uh, of basketball analysis and, and what you provide and what uh, people who, who favor analytics look at is they watch, it seems, more tape than anyone uh, in, in any form of sports data. That, you know, they, that you guys are not just spitting numbers at them. It's about watching what they did uh, and how they did it. Yeah, the, the video doesn't lie. I mean, yeah, I, I just talk about even uh, – playing pickup every day here in New York city and you got guys arguing about things. And a lot of guys who just are atrocious basketball players in terms of the decisions they make and the passes they make. And they think that they're superstars. And I think that it, 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 I just wish one day I could bring pickup footage broken down to these guys who play basketball and say, look at the boneheaded decisions you are making. Um, There's just no substitute for it. I mean, watching yourself, watching your opponents, numbers are great. Numbers tell a story, but at the end of the day, I think the human mind likes to see things visually. And so I think you have to convert those numbers into graphs. And I think you have to then move from graphs and numbers to actually watching video. And I think again, with a very fluid sport like basketball, where there's so many things happening, you know, with baseball, there isn't much to watch in, in form in the form of video. Really the only thing you can watch as a batter, you can watch your at-bats against certain pitchers, and probably pitchers want to see the same things. When, when they're pitching to a particular batter, they just want to watch the footage of how they threw the ball and, and sort of look at his tendencies and, and where, his, uh, where the bat was placed and any, any telltale signs that they can see from, from each other to try to get an advantage. That's the only thing you can really look at in baseball, whereas when it comes to basketball, there are a, a million things you can look at you know, how do, how do players like to play on the left side of the floor, on the right side of the floor? Uh, there's just no substitute to watching film. And, you know, I think that goes back to one of the things you asked me, which was, you know, when it comes to some of these old school guys, you know, how are they reacting to numbers? Um, you know, a lot of them are just like, I just got to watch film. You know, I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to watch the film the first time, then I'm going to watch it a second time, and then the third time I'm going to make some notes, and, and that's how I'm going to prepare. And I say, you know, that's great. Yes, you absolutely should be watching a ton of film. However, you should be watching it more efficiently. Watching a, a one-hour game with all the garbage time that goes on in between is, is stupid. That, that's just a waste of your time. Seeing a, a guy bring the ball down the court, wasting 15 seconds of the clock and not having any pressure on him, it's pointless to watch that as a coach. You, you just should not be watching that. What you should be doing is, is watching pre-cut clips that are removed all the garbage time and you're only watching what's important. And that's kind of what we do for them. Um, and so, yeah, a video is just, uh, it just reinforces the numbers 
And for guys that don't necessarily believe in the numbers as much, or even for the guys that do, uh, following up all those numbers by actually watching the, the anecdotal videos that, that sort of shows um, what those numbers are, are representing is, is very important. Now, the numbers themselves, um, you know, I, I keep pointing back to baseball as a point of reference because, it, you know, at least in the, uh, the public vernacular, I feel like it's made more, uh, more headway as far as what people understand and don't. And there were a couple of numbers, you know, uh, OPS and WHIP and, um, you know, WAR is now one that, that people are at least aware of, even if they don't buy it, that sort of made their way into traditional uh, ba- baseball talk. Which ones in basketball do you think are, are the – now, you talked about efficiency, uh, you know, points per possession, right. which I hear about. It's still – it drives me crazy when I'm watching NBA TV, guys that professionally do it, talk about uh, a team is good defensively because of the number of points they allow per game. It's just it's, – it's amazing to me that it's still there, but you, you do fe- hear a lot about efficiency. What other numbers do you think, um, you know, could sort of – will be the first ones that people start to use regularly like that? Well, yeah, I mean, just telling you from, from what I hear from coaches, right, a lot of them like to see the points for possession. A lot of them are, are talking about the, the plus-minus and the adjusted plus-minus. And it's hard to track that stuff. You know, to, in order to do an adjusted plus-minus, you need to be able to track uh, every minute of, of the game that the five guys are on the floor. You need to be able to track. It's almost like, you know, with hockey you have line changes, and that's why you have to track who's on the, on the rink. It's the same with basketball. You have to know who's on the floor at any given time. Of course, it's a little easier given it's only five players. But at the end of the day, you still have to be tracking that down to the minute uh, and know everything that happened while each of those players was on the floor. So, I mean, that's something at the high school level that's incredibly hard to do. So you're, you're seeing it at the, at the highest level. They're, they're able to track things like that. And so they're making, you know, we, we've seen things like network theory being used to determine who are the best five players uh, that you should be putting on the floor and, and how they play together. I mean, that was one of the big things coming out of Sloan this year that everyone was talking about, I think, was, uh, was that sort of modeling around, uh, around how do you figure out which five guys are the best to put on the floor together. And you know, trying to do that at lower levels, is next to impossible. So, you know, I think everyone's fascinated by this stuff. They hear the terms on TV. They hear the adjusted plus minus. They hear the, the, the five-man unit. They hear about how, uh, you know, people are moving away from sort of categorizing people as just point guards, forwards, and centers, and, and shooting guards to having, you know, using maybe location data to, again, uh, drop players into certain buckets. And so I think one of the guys at Sloan this year had come up with, like, 10 or 12 different types of, of players and they were called like the, the new positions in basketball. So, you know, I think these things are fascinating junkies and, and fans around the world. People are hearing about it. They love it. But as far as actually being able to use any of that stuff, even at the high school level where the, it's organized, let alone in pickup basketball, I just don't think anyone's going to touch any of these numbers. I mean, it's just very hard to track them and very hard to make use of them. So, um, you know, <laughs> Like I said, there's there's no one metric. You got to look at a number of things, and at least the the good news is at the highest levels of the game with the NBA, they are starting to at least just track the data. They don't know what to do with it yet. They're not making sense of all of it, but at least they've started to track the the individual data points. And so uh, at some point, you know, these these analytics guys that are being hired by all the teams uh, to do the number crunching will hopefully be able to figure out. That, that formula, I mean, the holy grail is, can you, 
can you can you guarantee a win, right? That is what this is all going towards. Can you guarantee a win? And who knows, right? I I, I would I would say as a sports lover that hopefully no one's ever going to figure that out. Uh, let let the let the innocence of sports remain what it is, and let us all love sports so that there is no way to actually guarantee a win. Otherwise, sports are no longer fun. But that's really what these guys are are trying to do is they're trying to create a formula for winning, and uh, and so they've, they've they're getting the data. They just nobody has really figured out how to to take that massive amount of information and come up with uh, with the 10, 20, 30 things that you have to look at to create a formula to then then guarantee a W. Well, do does the do NBA teams hiring these guys to work for their team specifically? Um, especially in high-ranking positions like Maury has and Hinky has and Sam Presti has, um, does it potentially slow the growth of that movement and, and of that happening because these guys are less likely to work together on that? And you know what I mean? Like they're competing with each other? Yeah, I, I think I think competition's good. I think the fact that you know OKC did it and Houston did it. Now there's a couple more teams that are going. Oh well, we got to go find our own guys now and hire them. Uh, and, and so I, you know, in, in in my opinion, with business and with anything else, competition only fuels people to come up with with uh, with better alternatives and and better solutions. So I don't necessarily know if it's going to slow things down. Um, but you know, when when you bring in a, a guy like Maury or, or a guy like Hinky, you know, people say, well, you're bringing in an analytics guy that knows nothing about basketball and you're letting him make decisions. And, you know, I, I think you see this in any industry, right? I mean, why does a company bring in a consultant with, uh, with perhaps not their domain knowledge, but some other really strong tool set and they bring him in to kind of come in and do some sort of analysis for them. I see it the same way. You're not going to let this consultant make all your decisions. You're not going to let him come into your company, look at all the data, and say, here's what you guys should do. You're going to let him present a number of options to you. At the end of the day, as, as the head of the company, you're going to make those decisions. And I think, uh, you know, with all the analytics guys being hired, they're being hired throughout. They're, they're not just, you know, there's two or three guys who are GMs that are analytics guys. But there's a number, like every team almost now has a couple of young guys PhD students straight out of school that they've hired, uh, unfortunately not paying them a lot of money uh, given how top-heavy sports is. But they're bringing these guys in, and they're saying, okay, well, here's the giant pool of data that we have. Why don't you come up with something? And I think at the end of the day, analytics guys that don't have the 10-year the experience having played in the league, right, because a lot of these GMs are guys that, that played in the league, and that's why they get the job. It's, it's a very old boys club when it comes to sports. And so a lot of these analytics guys are trying to break into it, and the way they're doing it is they're coming in and saying, okay, look, I don't have that 10-year playing experience, but I've got you know, 20 years of being a fan, five, seven years of really studying the game, and I've got this tool set of, of data analytics that I can bring, which will make up for the fact that I didn't play the game for 10 years in the league. Uh, so it's giving these guys an opportunity to break in to what is a very traditional old boys club, in my opinion, and, you know, I look at it as necessity is a mother's invention. These data guys are going to lose their job if they can't figure out a brand new way of looking at the game. And so the fact that they're being brought in at, at such high positions and they're being paid a lot of money, I mean, GMs make millions of dollars, uh, it means, in my opinion, that they're going to have to look at the game in a very, very different way and come up with something new and novel 
that, that uh, gives them a reason to be around in, in a position of power uh, over a guy that probably is a franchise player, played there for 10 years, now he's retired and, and probably wants that GM job just as much. Well, you know, a lot of times those guys, and you know, it's been proven uh, time and time again, the guys that were really, really good at the game have trouble, um, you know, looking at the game a- analytically or or just or evaluating players because they see things um, from a a perspective that most people don't, you know, and a perspective that it it makes it difficult to see how a you know, how a player who isn't as talented as they are, or who, who doesn't have as high a basketball IQ as they are, how they're operating. Uh, it, it almost, it, it seems like they get frustrated a lot of times with those players. Well, look at Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he's the, yeah, he's the, the big example of it, obviously, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, unfortunately. I mean, Mike, Michael still says that, you know, when, I mean, during his uh, 50th birthday, they did an interview, and he sort of talked about how, you know, he still watches games and he can tell if a shot's going in or not before the shot's even taken. Like, he's that good. And then you look at the Bobcats and you go, wow, what yeah. happened there? Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, like I said, I think they just, these guys bring a very different perspective. They're bringing a very objective perspective to uh, an industry and a sport that, in my opinion, has just always been very subjective, right? You, you look at guys, you, you kind of say, oh, he's got heart and he's got tenacity and he's got that will to win and that's what coaches look for a great kid and and all those things are great you know those are important traits to have leadership yes but at the end of the day when you're making some of these player personnel decisions I think you got to look at it very objectively as well and that's something that players have a hard time doing uh just given what they've been used to and so that's why bringing in guys like Sam and 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 Daryl I think has has really helped some of these uh um, smaller market teams make great personnel decisions because they looked at it very objectively. They looked at, you know, not only for, with the numbers, they looked at, at the, the salary, they looked at all those factors put together and they say, okay, given how much money we have, we need to put together the best possible team that we can, uh, that can play together, that will, that the numbers work. And then, you know, we're not spending a lot of money. And, you know, that's kind of like the, the start of, of Sabermetrics and, and Billy Bean and, and Moneyball was all around how can we take a, a small market team with very little money and, and come up with the best possible outcome. I mean, that's how sports analytics really started. And, and so, I, you know, in the NBA, it's nice to see some of these smart, small market teams really becoming competitive uh, because of the way they're looking uh, at the game as well as, as making draft decisions and, and trades. Uh, last question. The uh, the other thing you when we were talking about Sloan earlier, you talked about the, uh, the you know some of the things that came out of this year's conference, and one of the um, one of the things that I felt like made the most news was uh, when when Kirk Goldsbury did his presentation on on defense and you know how bad a defender David Lee was, um, and then wrote you know wrote about Roy Hibbert and wrote about Dwight Howard and just the the notion that traditional defensive metrics like blocks um, really don't tell even half the story um, because, you know, if, if you have a – and you saw it in the Miami-Indiana series. If you have a great rim protector, well, there's just far fewer shots in the lane and you're not going to get blocked shots if people aren't taking them. Um, the challenges of quantifying defensive metrics in basketball, I know they've had – you know, baseball, it still seems like it's way behind where, where the offensive stats are. Basketball, it's obviously behind, but um, talk about, like, what you can provide defensively. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, even baseball, they've been doing some work now. I mean, one of the guys on on uh, on my team, uh, his PhD thesis was actually about um, about fielding metrics in in baseball and and sort of showing, you know, based on where uh, where guys were in the field and you know the the trajectory of the ball that was hit and how far they had to move, you know, how uh, how much does a, a particular player cost um, his team or or how good is he? depending on his position. So there's, you know, there's, there's some work being done on defensive metrics. It's, it's always hard, you know, because everyone is, every sport is, is so offensive focused that when it comes to defense, it's kind of an afterthought. And it's only after you've sort of exhausted all those offensive things that people start to think about, about the defensive stuff. You know, the, the, the thing that, you know, I always uh, found that was interesting when they talked about some of these defensive things in basketball, especially when it comes to, to blocks was, you know, they talk about how, uh, <laughs> Guys like Dwight Howard, great rim protector, but his blocks, much like JaVale McGee's, are, uh, are not the best blocks in the world because they're, you know, they're trying to just whack that ball off the court and out of bounds. And, yes, that, you, know, yes you, you just saved your team a basket, but you actually didn't do a good job because you gave the, the, the ball right back to the team. And then you look at a guy like Tim Duncan and the way in which he blocks shots it invariably in, in some pretty high percentage of the time when he blocks a shot, he blocks it to his teammate and, and the play is not dead. And that results in an outlet pass and a fast break. Um, and so uh, I read about, I heard about these things at Sloan and then you, and then you watch the playoffs and you see it happen. And it's, it's really funny when you're, when you're sitting there watching the game as a stats guy, having heard these things at Sloan, especially about defensive metrics, and you see Tim Duncan block a shot, and then you see Dwight Howard block a shot, and you go, ah, yeah, I get it, you know? Um, so uh, some work is being done. Is obviously a, a lot of it is, is primarily focused on, on offense first. Um, but, there, you know, there, there, people are, are trying to figure out some of the, the defensive things. When it comes to crossover, you know, we're doing very simple things right now. You know, we just want to show you um, – how many, how many blocks, charges, defensive rebounds, um, deflections? Uh, can we get to some metric of hustle on defense? Uh, we're just trying to show you some of those things. We're trying to show you uh, when you play a man or a zone, um, what, is that, what does that do for your team? Uh, we let coaches sort of come in and uh, tag individual possessions that we've already cut up with different types of defense that they're playing. So if they have different defensive schemes or offensive plays for that matter, we kind of let our coaches come in and just say, okay, on this possession, this possession, this possession, we were playing uh, a 1-2-1, one, one, uh, I mean, a 1-2-2, uh, two, two, or uh, we were playing a box and one, or we were playing a 2-3, or we were playing a man, whatever. And then we kind of automatically tabulate over the course of an entire season, okay, how many times were they playing these different types of defense? And how many times during those possessions that they were playing a particular type of defense did it result in a made shot, a missed shot, a turnover, or a foul for the opposing team? And so now you kind of get to see just very, very simple defensive metrics on, on how you're doing when you, when you play a different type of defense. So, um, you know, I, I think we're, we're getting there. The, the blocks thing anecdotally is just – it was really, really interesting to see uh, that it, it is indeed true that – Certain players are, are very much better at blocking shots and keeping the ball alive for their team, resulting in a, a quick basket versus others that are just kind of going for a, a power block and just spiking that ball uh, out of the court. 
Well, you get be- way easier to get on Sports Center top ten by blocking it into the third row. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they keep it in bounds. Um, right. Dude, I, I, I can't I can't thank you enough for your time. The company is Crossover, and it's crossover dot com. Crossover with a K. Um, and your, I think that the Twitter was missing an E. Is that the way it was? Because somebody had the yeah, other so, crossover. So, some, someone someone's taken it. I've been trying to contact the guy. I've offered him money. He just doesn't want to respond to me. So <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully one of these days I'll track him down. All right, cool. Well, I Vesu, uh, I, I really uh, I appreciate it. And uh, like obviously, I what you're doing is out is just the beginning of what you're doing. You can just tell. Um, but with the day, the day that you are the guy, I'm telling you this, you will be the guy that they look back on one of the grandfathers one day, the guy that quantified heart and the guy that quantified hustle and the guy that quantified basketball IQ. And then that's it, man. Your Wikipedia page could be two lines long and it'll be two very meaningful lines. That's the only way we're going to get an Indian in the league. So I'm working my butt off. All right, man. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. All right, Spike. Thanks for having me. All right, see you, man. Oh. <laughs>